everybody. Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. They Today's show, I have Dan Byers, who is one fourth of one of my favorite bands locally, Wolfface. He also has a uh, production studio over in, is it Clearwater or Pinellas Park or St. Pete? Pete? St. Pete. Uh, and has worked with a lot of my favorite artists. Uh, I always get to geek out uh, texting through a mutual friend anytime I hear that there's a new record coming from Gone is Gone or Mastodon or who's the. Uh, Caveller talk or Kvelertok, some of these yeah. other people that you've worked on. Um, so, uh, you know, I've been wanting you on for a long time because I, I think of all the guys in the band, you and I probably have the most similar music interests, okay. uh, you know, cause I, I know that, that Ryan kind of trends a little bit more in, indie rock. He likes his pop punk kind of pop stuff. Pop punk yeah. stuff. And then, uh, Michael J likes, you know, his jawbreaker and his, that sort of stuff. But yeah, I think you get into a little bit of the heavier stuff, don't you? I think so. Yeah. All right. Probably out of the band. Uh, You're the heavy enjoy guy. that stuff yeah. a little more. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, are you from that area of town originally or did you? Yeah. I was born in Clearwater. So where'd you go to school? I went to, uh, high school. I went to like three different high schools. Uh, you get high in trouble a lot or move um, around a lot? Or? I got beat up real bad really? in high school. My jaw was broken. My skull really? was cracked. All my ribs broken. I held a handful of my teeth. Um, oh, it happened there. Uh, <laughs> was it your fault or was it no? No. no um, normally, if like I was running my mouth, I'd say I was running my yeah, mouth and yeah. someone shut it for me kind yeah. of thing. This was totally random. Um, six, oh, my God. That's six, awful. Six guys, the basically the basketball team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Saw me. One guy dared his friend to go hit some random stranger, uh-huh. like that knockout game, whatever. Yeah. And I was just the next person. Oh my that god, they that's saw. awful! So I, uh, six guys beat me up. Five of them were named Antonio, which is kind of just a weird this fact is, this of the is thing. The, this is the most chilling and amazing story at the same time I think I've heard in quite some time. So, uh, so yeah, you got they, beat up by five Antonios and, and a, a uh, Moreno. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Just six kids. How decided, old were you? I was 16. Oh, my God. Um, so I got punched from behind. And that, I guess, I don't know. I felt a couple of punches. I don't yeah. know which one broke my jaw. Yeah. But it broke clean through, like, uh, between the eye tooth and the one just behind it. And I didn't know what was going on. And oh. then I was on the ground because I was just being punched. And by. what school was that at? This was at uh, Pinellas Park High. Pinellas Park was a rough school. It, I, yeah, I went to bit. St. Pete High for two years, and I okay. went to Northeast High for two years. But right. I always remember hearing stories about Pinellas Park High. So yeah, it's a little rougher there than some others. And well, I, Pinellas Park is is a training ground for a lot of different lifestyles. Yeah, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so uh, so was that the end of your time there? Yeah, uh, I finished out the rest of that year uh, just on like homeschool kind of stuff, tutors coming to the house and stuff, and then I went to Countryside High. And I quit there because uh, I offered to fill the principal's mouth with my fist one day. Oh, wow. Um, just over some tr- like true nonsense. Yeah. And I wasn't being truly violent. Or I wasn't. Sure. I just was. It was just like a a stupid statement. Statement that I made. Just, yeah. yeah. Like I was being pushed into this weird corner. They're going to expel me and and my sister. Oh, wow. And my sister was like 
crushing it at high school and I was hating What was the it. issue? Um, I held up a sign that said, uh, die cougar scum. We uh-huh. were the countryside cougars. Yeah. And uh, for a pep rally. Right. And I made this big, huge Just sign. Just being funny. Just being funny. Yeah. And then the football team tried to rightfully kind of beat me up this time. Like yeah. they, they were angry. You're an agitator. I'm an agitator. Yeah. Um, in the earlier case, I really was not agitating yeah, anyone. That was just wrong. wrong. Yeah. yeah. This was, I was agitating yeah. when they came up the bleachers. I was like, yeah, bring it on, you know, knowing I was just going to get annihilated because yeah. I am no good at fighting. Right. You know? Right. Um, so were you into music in high school? Were you in the yeah. band? Did you do all yeah. that stuff? Um, how did you, how did you find music? Did you have a musical family? Was it just something you took? Grew up on bluegrass music. Really? Yeah. So a uh, handful of times a year. Is your family from like the Appalachian mountains or something nope, like that? No, from the Pittsburgh area. Uh, Pittsburgh bluegrass. Okay. Yeah. Um, but when they, they moved to Florida, they made some friends with people that like they, there's a revolving lineup of who hosted these parties sure. for different holidays and whatever, just some random ideas of like, Hey, let's get together this weekend. They would just have parties like potluck kind of thing. A yeah. hundred people would show up and play 20, and 25 of them would be bluegrass musicians. And some of them were pretty. And it's a fun music to go watch. I, I, we had a family up in North Carolina. So we go up there a lot and okay. you could go in the mountains to certain restaurants and bars and they'd have a bluegrass band playing there right away. And it's, yeah. It's definitely uh, different from what I was uh, weaned on, but I have an appreciation for it for sure. The musicianship. Is, oh, yeah. Like some guy, the guys can play mandolin, they have big, huge, fat huge fingers, and, and they just tiny little instrument. kill yeah. the instrument, you know? I bought a, I bought a banjo this year, and I've been cool. I've been trying to figure that out. And it, it, it's it's surprisingly hard to sound bad on a banjo. Because a banjo could, just sounds bad. It just, well, <laughs> I, I mean, I guess that's, that's, that's one argument. But I mean, I can almost just fret it anywhere along the neck, and it sounds like a chord. So. Yeah, it's the open tuning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So... Uh, so what was your instrument in, in high school? Um, I, I picked up bass in high school. I was playing guitar in like middle school. Uh-huh. Um, not very well doing like Nirvana stuff. Like every, bass? all my other friends were doing. And I don't know if your thinking was the same as me. Cause that was the first instrument that I picked up in high school. And for me, the bass is like being a left-handed relief pitcher or a kicker or like a specialty guy in a sport because you're always going to be needed. You can always have a longevity of your career. You can always, you know, because usually it's the drums or guitar that someone's going to go to first. Usually it's not the bass. So everybody needs you. Yeah. Was that the thinking or is that just kind of how it happened? I was playing guitar and around Christmas time, whatever, my buddy got a guitar and a little amp and uh, another friend had a drum set. So that, that guy that had only the guitar and amp was like, I'm playing guitar. This guy is going to be the drummer. Do you want to play bass? And I was like, I, I don't have a bass. And they're going to ask this girl if she wanted to play bass. So right before that happened, we borrowed that girl's bass. Oh, yeah. And I played it. Uh-huh. And eventually she was like, yo, we, I need my bass back. And I was like, oh, shit. I need to go buy a bass or I'm going to be out of the band. band. She's yeah. going to be yeah. in the band kind of thing. Um so I went to the pawn shop with. What'd my, you get? Oh, the worst bass possible. Like a P bass knockoff. It was, knockoff it was like a, a, a short scale P bass yeah. knockoff and some like Randall amp. Yeah. Um, it was. I think it was eighty bucks for the amp and the guitar right. kind of thing. But um, you got to cut your teeth playing on shit. I think yeah. people. I think people who get like you know a fifty something Les Paul and these amazing tube amps. It's like you don't appreciate. Like I think you have to sharpen your sword on junk. Yeah. Before you can you know. Really I learned how to set up a guitar because of that thing playing so terrible. I learned to swap pickups and just simple things like that right. because 
the thing you have so, to. so yeah, I Sink had or I swim, right? Yeah. And so I, I think you're a little bit younger than I am. Uh, what what years was this in high school? Oh, uh, this would have been ninety five, ninety six. Okay, so I'm trying to think. What was the music of the day? What were you heavy into? Oh, what were you listening like, to? A lot of like no effects. Oh sure, yeah. Um, trying to think what record came out then. A lot know. of the epitaph type stuff. Yeah, there was a lot of like a lot of the skate Pennywise kind of stuff. Yeah. and Bad Religion. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Um, and then like a lot of like the Lookout Records stuff. Sure, like, yeah. Screeching Weasel. And yeah, yeah. That kind of stuff um, was kind of. The, Were you seeing live music much at that time? Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, um, there's a, basically two venues in St. Pete. There's State Theater and Janice. Uh, the, and the Refuge. Oh, okay. Um, and the Refuge probably had like three shows a week. Right. And they're always like four or five bucks. So you know, I lived in Clearwater, but we'd ride our bikes down to. Who do you remember Pete. seeing? Oh man, um, I remember seeing uh, POD. Oh sure. Before they got religious, like, yeah, yeah. Before they got big at all, yeah. Um, and thinking like, oh, this band isn't any good, yeah. And then you know, six months later, eight months later, they were you know on the biggest M- thing on the radio MTV and MTV, kind of thing. And yeah. Um, tons of bands came through there. Like there was. Bunch of bands that would come up from, I think, Fort Myers, like Discount, yeah. My Pal Trigger were yeah. some fun bands to go and see. And then all of the like grind bands that were coming out of Tampa, like right. Ass Suck and all that yeah. stuff was happening around yeah. that time. Um, it was just, and all those, all those bands would play together. Yeah. Like it didn't, shows didn't matter so much. It wasn't like genre specific no, shows. No, it's just, if you're from around like, here, you're playing. Yeah. Together. Hey, we're having a show on Thursday night. Yeah. Do you want to play? Yeah. Um, so, um, at, at some point along the way, uh, not only do you get good at your instrument, but you get... Yeah, that's you, debatable. <laughs> well, I, 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 I count myself as somewhat of a fan and expert from that, from this side of the stage. Okay. And, and I think you're pretty damn good. So, um, but at some point along the way, you start to develop an interest in actually the production part of it. When did that happen? Uh, was that much later or was that just that kind was of... That was still in high school. Um, we had like a four track recorder, a little cassette thing. Right. And uh, it was our friend Mike's. Yeah. And I would borrow it all the time. And then finally I got one. So then we had two and we could bounce back and forth between sure. them. Because um, that's such a part of music that people who don't play live don't even. There's like this whole other part to playing live than just standing on a stage and playing live yeah between setting up your instruments getting them to sound right all these other things and you know i don't think people really spend a lot of time talking about that but um in this past year both through this show just having to figure out how to record and get a decent sound from a microphone and produce it and then i had the opportunity to go see uh wolf face when they played i i I can never remember the name of the damn venue but it was right up here by the uh, zoo oh the not the vf W, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. There was a there's like a quinceanera of, or like a Latino wedding going on, yeah. right on the other side, and then you guys are playing there, and you play. I don't know if Big Sad played there. There's three bands. Yeah, it was Big the, Sad. Yeah, Dave's band uh, and uh, oh, somebody man. else. What was it? Was it Virginity? Yes, it okay. was. Yes, it was. I was trying to remember who played that show. Well, and so this was the first time I'd ever seen you guys play live, and you know that place is a hole in the wall, and. You had this little thing, not much different from this around the corner, this aperture with it. You guys were all plugged into and literally like during songs and between songs, you're like reaching around the wall and messing with the knobs and the dials. And it was just like, wow, that's it's so crazy 
what you have to do to, to to just play that type of show. Yeah, we we brought in the PA system. Right, that. we rented a couple of things, but it was like a hodgepodge of what. But I we loved had. it because that reminded me of all the 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 you know every time you see like not to not to equate the VFW to CBGB, but I mean a place with low ceilings you can't fit in. It's not it's not set up, but. Those are the best shows. Yeah, it's I mean, making it work, and right, you know, right. I think the environment becomes just as much of like a part, part of, of the, the music show. and how the way things sound and how things come about. For sure, that's similar to what most bands practice in, right? You know, so it's a kind of a familiar setting and a familiar sounding environment, right? Um, and then lastly, uh, you guys did your jingle for uh, Liquid Death Water, and I got to come to your studio and actually yeah. watch you guys record that. And so my big takeaway there is. That the drums are 99% of the whole process because you and Ryan and, and, and Michael J and I were just bullshitting in the room while it's Dan, it's Dan as well, right? Yeah. What's, what's Dan's last name? Williams. Williams. He, it was three hours of him trying to get his, his drum set up straight. Yeah. And, and again, as much as I love music and know about music, or at least I like to think that I do, this is really this past year to me, just through knowing you guys, been an education in recording and live music, seeing what goes into it. And so I was going to ask you just to talk a little bit about miking drums, oh. what, it, what that process is. There's books written on yeah. it. Um, one of my friends locally here wrote a really amazing book on how to record drums. And it's not some little like thin magazine. It's a big book on just how to record the drums. But that's um, everything because the vocals and the guitars and the bass and everything else, you can kind of just once you have that laid down, you kind of just come in and do what you got to do. Yeah. Getting the, the takes from the drummer is the hardest thing. And getting a good drum sound is surprisingly hard. And the stuff that you have to do to make it sound just like drums. Right. Because you put all these microphones around a drum set and then you have to reassemble the like acoustic sound of the drums in that room. Um, you, so you have to, you can't do it with one mic. Sure. Like, re- you can, but it's very difficult. Very difficult. Yeah. Um, throwing up a couple of mics helps things. Now you have independent control for drummers, bad balance, right. internal balance on the kit. Um, most drummers, just have kind of a bad internal balance because they're so used to playing against really loud amps sure. and stuff and they're not worried about their volume in the room so much. Right. Um, so they're very mean to their cymbals. Yeah. You know, trying to tame that stuff while still bringing up like the the skins of the drums and stuff. We're kind of doing this out of order, but not being a drummer, like did, did you get into – let me figure out how I want to ask this question. Did you learn – did you know how? Do you drum at all? Have you drummed at all in a any other band? A little bit. So you had a basic, yeah. basic knowledge of of drumming, but I mean, you've probably learned infinitely more about it recording it than for playing sure. It. Would yeah, that be accurate? The, the tuning of the drums, like tuning guitar, is easy. You plug into a tuner, and it tells you if you're right. You right. Set your intonation with the same thing. It tells you if you're right. There's a very clear cut. You Answer. are in tune, yeah. or you are not in tune. With the drums, it's a little more of a gray area of like, are you in tune? Yeah. Are they in tune with themselves? Do they sound good together? And do they do they feel right too? Because underneath the drummer's hands, you might get them sounding really good, but then the response of tight or yeah. the bounce or yeah. yeah, they don't feel good anymore. So there's this constant balance of that stuff, and then just getting mics onto a drum set so the drummer doesn't hit them. Right. If you're putting you know a fifteen hundred dollar microphone on someone's rack tom, yeah, you don't, you don't want really to smack want it with them a to hit it. Right. Yeah. Um, 
So maybe you don't use that good of a mic on a more wild drummer. Sure. And now your mic placement is different. Everything like there's sounds there. Yeah. It's, it's like a house of cards in a lot of ways. It's a million little decisions that add up to hopefully something that sounds okay. So, uh, and through the course of this year, I've really gotten in. There's a, there's a podcast called crash bang boom. I don't know if you've ever heard about it, but it's a a drummer's podcast and it's, you know, they've had Dale Crover from the Melvins and, uh, Chris Maggio, who's in High on Fire, and some of these other bands, Chris Penny, who D- Dillinger Escape Plan, like a lot of these drummers have been on there. And there's so much other stuff that goes into drumming that I never even thought about, like seat height and how high your cymbals are and stretching and breathing and just all this crazy. I mean, it's such a physical act that if aside from just knowing how to play the notes or play the drums there's so many other things with your body you're having to do that the other people in the band don't have to worry so much yeah. about uh, with a guitar you have a strap yeah and if that strap is adjusted you put it back on the guitar it's the it fits the you same the same height. way it's like getting into someone else's car you don't quite fit but you can make some quick adjustments and make it down the road right with a drummer they're disassembling and reassembling their car yeah every constantly. every night yeah every, every single night recording yeah. and every little move that happens there just kind of pushes them a little farther out of their comfort zone. So the height of their seat, the, the weight of the sticks they're using, you know, the, if a stand breaks, now you borrowed someone else's, it's not set at the same height and the same angle. It, and don't you, little, a lot of times, if you're playing, if you're touring, you're playing someone else's kit. Is, is that happening? Um, Pretty often. Most yeah. drummers will tour with their own kit, yeah. but then a lot of nights it's just easier to use some Whoever house kit on, or, yeah. yeah, you know, especially if you're going like overseas, I know a lot of times you, you don't fly with your stuff. You yeah. just, lease it or use it over there yeah you might rent a kit there and you might get one day before tour to play with it yeah yeah, get it set up and get comfortable a good drummer can be kind of comfortable with anything right um but some drummers even really great ones are very particular yeah and it takes a little bit of so 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 the band in high school did you have a name uh simpletons simpletons yeah all right Uh, Michael J was in that band. Oh, was he? Uh, oh, yeah. that's because I forgot. You guys known each other since high school. Long time, yeah. yeah. Um, when I got beat up, my jaw was wired shut for three or four months. Uh-huh. And talking wasn't much of an option. And like moving about would get me so winded. Sure. Um, I couldn't do much. Right. You know, so I did basically nothing. I just laid around the house for a long time. He jumped in on bass. Oh, then, really? Yeah. He was in that band then for quite some time oh, like wow. through a good portion of high school and stuff. And then when he quit, I rejoined for a short time and then the band broke up. Wow. Very cool. Bands do. Uh, yeah, I, it's funny. Cause now I'm, I'm starting to remember that. I think he's told me some of this story. Okay. Wasn't there, was there, was it that, is there another story about someone in the band getting beat up like next to him or, or is that it? Was there a tour? Was there a show? Or was there something where someone almost got their ass kicked? Or Oh, there was a lot okay. of that stuff. Yeah. So I'm not sure. How much you want to go into. Yeah, well, I don't even know which which. Yeah, which one are you talking yeah, about? Like, I don't it know. wasn't <laughs> daily. We weren't like some rough and tumble bunch. We were a bunch of like scrawny little pop punk kids. Well, but, he- well, um, your guys are getting older now, but I can definitely tell that he's got he's got a, a hair up his butt sometimes that he can probably get get people going. And uh, we did a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. ran our mouths and acted kind of stupid and would push people past that's comfort punk. zones. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. what you got to do. You know, right. It was fun. And yeah. We weren't never wanted to hurt anyone or do anything like that. Just like let's make this person a little bit uncomfortable. Right. You know. So what was the next band after the Simpletons? Um. Ooh, I'm trying to think what I joined after that. Oh, I met uh, 
met a guy named Mike in high school. Okay. Um, when I went to a new high school. Sure. Um, I didn't know anyone. I knew like one person there just from like friend of a friend right. kind of thing. And uh, This was at Countryside? Countryside, okay. yeah. And I go to just eat lunch with her because I don't know anyone. Like yeah. And there's this kid sitting on the floor with a French fry half in his mouth, just in like some weird suspended animation uh-huh. thing, like blissed out. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, what's up with that guy? They're like, oh, that's that's Mike. He does that. And uh-huh. I was like, he does what? He's like, right now he's off of music land. There's guitars whizzing by. He's yeah. in the clouds. There's music notes whizzing by his face. And he's like just- a beautiful mind. Yeah. He's just blissed out right now. Yeah. And then he came back to reality and ate his French fry. I was like, that that's I a weird kid. That guy. Yeah. And went to his house one day after school because he said he had some songs and that his neighbor would be the drummer and stuff. I was like, okay, cool. And then he had a bass and an amp there. I didn't have to do anything. So I was like, oh, that sounds easy. I go there. He has folders of songs, like oh, wow. full albums written. And there's a stack of folders with like 10 or 12 songs in each folder. It's like, he's super organized, yeah. kind of OCD stuff. I was like, just pick the folder and we like learned those songs. So we had maybe, I don't know, 60 songs or something. Oh my God. From like day like one. Five albums right yeah. off the bat. Yeah. Um, all simple stuff. Sure. Very like very lookout records, kind yeah, of yeah. early Green Day type of stuff. Yeah. Um, and played well, in that Green band. Day kind of has a big part in the seeds of Wolfface because I talked to uh, Michael and, and he uh, – he basically said he taught himself to play guitar just playing Dookie beginning yeah, and end. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. how I think most of us learned that right. and like Nirvana sure. stuff. You yeah. know? It was yeah. like the easy stuff to play. Yeah. And it was immediately gratifying because if you could play a couple power chords. Yeah. Power chords, you got you got Green Day and just filling around the scales, you could get a lot of the Nirvana. You yeah. Know? So, wow. So, what was the name of that band? Um Potentially insane. Potentially that was named insane. by Mike because I think he was. He was potentially insane. Yeah. And how long did that go on for? Oh, maybe two years or okay. so. We didn't play a bunch of shows and stuff. But did you did you do any school after high school or? Um, I quit when yeah. Me and the principal had our little right uh, coming to terms kind of thing. Um, and I went on a short tour with the band with the Simpletons. Okay. Um. And when I came back, I just went back to like a night school thing and okay. finished out with a kind of regular diploma. But thing. how did you learn? I mean, because I've been to your studio and as I understand it, you built that thing by hand by yourself. And and that's not even the f- first incarnation of the studio, is it? That's, that's you ha- I had another studio that I was in for about a dozen years. OK. And, that and one. did someone show you how to do that or did you just figure that out on your own or a lot of it's just culmination of all your experience yeah it's like framing yeah so if you can frame up a wall you could build that kind of place but the materials the angles the all that kind of stuff a lot of that was just very seat of my pants yeah here's the room that we're working with there was some construction that existed in the room right and i just looked at it went there's stuff that doesn't fit my workflow so that wall needs to go away yeah and then when I take that wall down, I re- need to reassemble something over here to close it back up. Um, a lot of it was very like just designed by sledgehammer kind of well, stuff. Well, can you – this question may be easier to ask than it is for you to answer. But when you're when you're building a space to record in, what are what are your considerations? What are you looking to do? I, you, you mentioned to me a little bit, I think, that night when I came out about – I think you don't want to have walls facing each other. Parallel walls are kind of a bad thing because sound will bounce back back and and forth. forth. Yeah. If you go into like a bathroom and clap, you hear that like fluttery kind of. Yeah. Like a ripple effect. almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's just sound that's bouncing back and forth. So like the room we're in, what is it? Nine by nine, 10 by 10, something like that. Square rooms are really, really tough. This room is 
so poor for a podcast yeah. for so many different But it reasons, works because we're basically eating these mics sure, and, yeah. Yeah. you know, it, it will work for this. Yeah. Um, when you get higher amplitude sounds, stuff that's louder than we're talking now, yeah. that really excite a room. If a room is 10 feet by 10 feet by 10 feet, the same frequency is going to bounce left to right, front right. to back and up and down. So you get this buildup at that one frequency and then harmonics of that frequency. And that just creates, you know, some, if you play bass, if you've yeah. ever played bass or even guitar stuff, you go into a room and you hit a certain note and it seems like that note gets twice as loud as all the others. Right. That's the, the mode of the room and you've excited it now. So okay. the room is now amplifying that note, but then you move one fret Nothing. and it's half as loud, yeah. you know, or it feels like those notes disappear sometimes. Right. And that's just the room creating like peaks and nulls, um, so the non-parallel walls. But this is all self-taught and just through experience, yeah. right? I mean, I'm sure you've probably read up online and read like a lot of a lot books, of reading. But I mean, you have no formal education on this. Is that accurate? Um, I did end up back in college oh, did when you? I okay. was thirty. Okay. So ten years ago, uh-huh. um, went back to college for music production. Stuff. And how was that kind of after having so much of it under your belt? Uh, I was talking about my newest, my most recent intern was by the studio yesterday. We were talking about some of that, and like he's got to go back and take some prerequisite courses that he skipped. Sure. And now he's got to go back and take like these very basic computer classes. Yeah. When I went in, it was the program was brand new. There had been one other person that had gone one semester before me as like a trial run kind of thing. Right. So as soon as I found out about the program, I went and signed up because it seemed like a good idea. Yeah. Um, not having a little piece of paper that says, you know what you're doing. No, but it's was, probably filling in some gaps that, that you, it, you, you didn't know what you didn't know probably. Yeah. yeah. And I knew that there was a lot that I didn't know. So I went there and they're like, you know, you got to take this music and computers class. And I talked to the guy who designed the program. I was like, right now I'm making my living recording yeah i just want to become better i want to fill in those gaps so he like granted me permission to not have to take the music and computers class it's sure. like here's a computer you can record into it you yeah, know yeah um so I, I bypassed some of that luckily and the rest of the classes were pretty much things i was doing every day right but by watching the instructors and their the subtle technique of right it, um, where maybe most of the class was learning for the first time, like how to even get a microphone near snare drum. I was looking at his technique, like what angle is he picking? How close to the head or like the, the more subtle details of it. Um, Cause he'd been doing it for 20 years longer than me. So right. I wanted to learn stuff. So there's a lot of cool stuff that I picked up that way. Um, and I wasn't expecting that. For, you know, even especially the first year of the program, I thought I'm just going to be bored out of yeah. my skull. Um, so it worked out pretty you have well. To, you have to kind of make your ego small. Like I've had that happen in law. I've had that happen in different areas in life. You know, you, you start to feel like you know everything and you can choose two paths. You can either realize that you don't and be open to learning or you can just ignore everything. Yeah. Like the second you rest yeah. on your laurels there. Like, that's what you're going to get caught slipping. You're going to get caught slipping and everyone else that's just behind you just on this. Shot up right just in front of you. Rockets past you right. so quick. Right. So, um. You said the first studio you had for how long? Uh, it was about a dozen years. And what caused you caused you to to move to? And then, then you moved to where you're currently at, right? Yeah. Caused- so, um, so right before I got the previous studio to the one I have now, I was working at a studio in Clearwater. 
And which, uh, which studio was this that? This was Rose. Did you ever Rose work studio. at Morris Sound? No, I oh. uh, worked on a record there years. I want to ask ago. you about more, just because I have a I have a, a part of my quiver is death metal and yeah. core and all that oh, stuff, and they have such a rich history. It, Tom is such an amazing like. He's an, so, he's an instructor at SPC right oh, now. You really? can go to a com- not community college, but basically, yeah. you know, of a, a very inexpensive community type college and learn from Tom yeah. how, how he recorded those records and stuff. It's just amazing because it's such a it's such a niche area of music that most people don't yeah. know about. But literally, like Clearwater in Tampa was the birth. Of this movement and music and more sound, more sound, especially like you look at the roster of records that came out of there with death and deicide and obituary and morbid angel and all these other different bands yeah. that come through there. And it's just like that was the L.A. of that type of music yep. or whatever you want. They define the sound of that here. R- really just quite cool amazing. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. um So you said you were working at another studio. So I was, yeah, I was working at uh, Rose Studios. OK. Um, not doing a whole bunch, but I was like the main engineer there. Sure, nice cushy gig. Yeah, had a secretary and stuff. Oh, like really? That. Yeah, it was nice. a, it was a nice place. Um, and how long did you do that for? Uh, about a year, a little yeah. bit more than a year. Yeah. And the day that I was loading up their truck, they were moving to somewhere in Arkansas, just like south of That's Branson, random. Missouri. Yeah. Um, I'm loading up the truck and this band that I've been wanting to work with for quite a while that we'd been in like little talks. I was like, yeah, we'll be able to use this place. Yeah. Just once you get signed to your little label and the budget comes through, we'll get started. Right. And they call me like, Hey, everything's good to go. And I was like, Oh, well, hang on. Let me call you back later. Let me go buy everything. And <laughs> pretty much, yeah. you know, I had a little home setup and, uh, enough to do guitars and stuff at home. And it was a nice, like a nicer, more professional sure. pro tools rig. But at the studio there, we had the big rig with all the inputs to it and everything we would need. And, they're, I'm packing them up and they're moving. And now this band is ready. So Do I, I know this band? Uh, it was Sleeping by the Riverside. Okay. okay. Um, and I just excited to work with them. I thought they were a cool band. Right. And it would be my first like, wow, this is my first little label project right. and stuff. And I was excited for it. And the timeline just like crashed. In the, on itself. In yeah. Absolutely the wrong way. But at that same time, my parents had just leased this big 10,000 square foot building that they were building a daycare into. Right. And the, the place is being completely demoed. We cut out all the walls from like yeah. four feet down. Everything is just disgusting in this place. And there's a room in the middle that we were putting all the debris in. I was like, well, if I could track drums somewhere and they have to work in the evenings, so I can't do it from home or something. Right. So I cleared out that room, told my folks, like, I need this room for maybe a month, you know, uh, Put and it seems as though they've been supportive of you. Absolutely. Yeah. Like amazingly yeah. supportive. Let, so awesome. Letting me yeah. be as dumb as I want, right. like helping me through yeah. that. Um, so we go into this little room and we start working on the record. We worked for a month or so on it and it worked pretty well. Yeah. Like it was a nice, as I kind of went along, like working off of a card table and, you know, got a little bit better desk and just sort of got some stuff together. I didn't have enough gear getting started with it. I had to call the label and be like, hey, send me the whole budget and like well normally we send half w- to get started and the half when it's done i was like well normally i get it all up front which wasn't normal yeah was I, there was no normal shit. for yeah, me yeah. but if i didn't get all of it i wasn't going to be able to buy the gear i needed to right. make the record so if they didn't send it all i was just gonna have to decline the project right so i said send it all they, they did. went okay 
Check shows up and went immediately and bought the little bit. Where'd bits you go? Of, Paragon or? I went Sam Ash. Bringy? Okay. Sam Ash. Okay. Um, went immediately there and bought the stuff that I needed to for a headphone system and enough mic stands and cables and things like that to right. get myself off the ground enough to track a band. And we had guitars in like one of the little kids' classrooms down the hall. That's so badass. Like, what a great story. Stuff was all over the place in this building, but- it didn't matter. Like, but now you have one under your belt. You had a confidence level. Yeah. I, I, and then over a dozen years there, we built that place out better. I split it into two rooms and hired an acoustic engineer to design stuff for me. Right. So I learned a lot there. And um, then and then what was the, what caused you to leave there and go to where you're currently? I was at? working six at night to six in the morning because okay. I had to work the opposite schedule of the daycare business. Sure. Um, you just needed to be unfettered by another business. Yeah. Yeah. And I was shopping for a building with uh, the guy I used for mastering. We were looking at all these places and we we're going to go in with another guy. And there's all people I met, instructors I met through the college. Right. And stuff just kept falling apart. Yeah. Every time we'd find something cool, the rent would double. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. or the one guy was trying to trade one of his buildings towards like another one and the, everyone would be on board and the last minute stuff would fall apart. And I went to buy gear. Um, with one of the guys who was in sleeping by the riverside, he called me up, you know, 20 years later or something like that. And was like, Hey, my friend's selling a bunch of gear. You want to go check it out? I was like, sure. We'll go sometime. He's like, why don't we go now? I was like, okay. So I go and this guy has all this amazing gear piled up what I wanted. And was like, I'll go look up some prices. You look up some prices. Then we'll come to some sort of meeting in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. So he calls me, he's like, Hey, here's what I'm thinking for price. And it was like 10 bucks more than my really low ball offer that oh, I was wow. thinking. I was like, yeah, that's yeah, good. That I'm, seems, not, I'm not going to, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to haggle over <laughs> 10 bucks when it's thousands right, of dollars right. kind of thing. So I went and picked up the gear and paid him for it. And I left and I'm like, well, what's he going to do with that space? He's already got a studio there. Right. So I called him. He's like, come back. So I came back. We went and met the landlord. Like cause they're just around the corner. Yeah. And he's like, this is Dan. He's renting the studio space. Give him the deal that I've got from, for the last like 10 years or something. I was like, Oh, I guess I'm renting. Yeah. I just wanted to find out how much it costs. Yeah. And ended up, I was like, you know what? Just go all in. Just do it. Well, but that's, that's life, right? Like you can't force things. They just got to kind of happen the way that they happen. Right. You know, and, and all the best things in my life that I've experienced, didn't come through aggression and, and blind ambition and, you know, just tyranny of will. It's just been like the gates open and yeah. this is, this is the path you're yeah, going like down. This so. door opens, you can go in. Yeah. You know, well, thank God you went through it. Right yeah. now. Uh, where is this in the timeline of Wolfface? Were, um, were you already so in, started in Wolfface? Wolfface was just getting started. I think we were working on our first record. Um, we we're because we did a bunch of tracking at my old place, and as you've always been in touch with 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 uh, Greg or Mike, you know. Um, yes and no. They're like yeah. when he first got because he had some other stuff. bands that he was in too, right? Yeah, and, and when I he know first that Ryan was, had his little jaunt on TV and yeah. all this other. Stuff. I didn't know Ryan before Wolfface. Okay, I knew Dan since I was like five years old. He right. grew up ten houses down the street from me. Um, Dan just had a baby. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing good. Dan's the whipping post of the band. I always have this conversation (laughs) with, I was like, I I, I try and figure out which beetle each of you are. And and I, (laughs) I always get to hear the stories about Dan. Um, He's doing good. Yeah. Uh, uh, Theo is doing great. Yeah. Um, So I've known Dan for forever. Uh, He brought Ryan into the band. Like uh, Ryan is, we call him Rainwolf. 
because he's, he's like, like Rain Man. He's like Rain Man. Oh, for of sure. The yeah. music. Yeah. Um, it's like he'll hear part of a song you, ten rooms away, and he if knows I how to play think it a song loud, yeah. not it's out loud, just play this, da, 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 and he just does it. Yeah. yeah. If I'm thinking of a song, somehow he just starts playing it. Kind he's of like thing. the geolocation when you talk about Nikes and it pops up on your computer. Yep. You just talk about a song and he's playing it. All That's right. Ryan. Yeah. yeah. So even like first practice, uh, Michael J. Yeah. Had written a I few. It's so songs. hard. It fucks with me so much. <laughs> I have the worst time talking about him. Anyway, go um, ahead. So Michael J. wrote a few songs and he would swing by the studio on occasion. And you'd play me a song or we just like play one of the old songs from some band we were yeah. in. We were both terrible drummers, but that didn't stop us because it was just blowing off some yeah. steam. Um, he writes a song about Teen Wolf. Tell him it's kind of funny. Then he writes another one. It's like, dude, you got to stop this. This, you're, you're gonna... this. this isn't good for anyone. Like, <laughs> And he comes by with another song about Teen Wolf. I was like, spend some time with your wife and kids, man. Stop <laughs> this stuff. Um but we, you know, we'd play those songs or whatever and kind of just shoot the shit yeah. for an hour or so. And then he'd go home and I'd go back to work. And uh, we're like, hey, we should maybe get someone out. So there's this guy who wanted to come out because he was friendly and played drums, but he was flaky and didn't show up. Yeah. You know, I couldn't like pin him down. And uh, so Dan's name was thrown about. We're like, well, I like, yeah, we should call him. He's a really great drummer. And even if it's just we do some practices. Who's the actor that he looks like? Um, oh. Gonna, he, they kept calling Franco. James Franco. James Franco. James Franco. Yeah. yeah, he looks like James Franco. <laughs> so he came out and he's like, I want to bring a friend. And we had sent Dan like yeah. the, the demos. Right. So that he would have a feel for what we might be doing. Right. Walking in blind. So we go to have band practice. I barely know the songs. Greg barely knows the songs. Dan barely knows the songs. Ryan plays them like he wrote them. He's like, what part do you want me to play? Like, well, it'd be nice if you could do the lead stuff, but we can get to that. Yeah. He's like, well, which part? This part or this part? Like, because there's three parts in this yeah. song happening. And we're all like, uh. You're like all secretly geeking out. Whatever on you yeah. feel comfortable with, yeah. I guess. You know, And he just like nailed everything so perfect and yeah. made us twice as good just by him being present in the room kind of thing. Right. And I think he still does that. Yeah. yeah, there's a there's a documentary that just came out this year called Murder in the Front Row about the thrash scene in uh, San Francisco. OK. And uh, it talks about how Metallica stole Kirk Hammett from Exodus and stole uh, Cliff Burton from Trouble and how like they, you know, a big part of their success was. Being able to see talent and poach him from other bands yeah. and bring him into their band. Yeah. No poaching was done, but, you know, it just. Yeah. Yeah. So. Stars aligned, I guess. That's that's so cool. Now, now Dan, drummer Dan, he's he's into hard music, too, I think. He plays in. Um, well, he was playing in like a heavier band for a while. What were they called? Oh, crap. I recorded them. And I can't think of their name off the top of my head. That's right. right. Now. Um, it'll come to Getting me. Getting old sucks, man. Yeah. Yeah. I feel um, like an asshole right that's now. That's all right. We'll, 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 we'll post-production it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they um, are called. Yeah. Doo-doo-doo. Yeah. And then Ryan's in like five bands. Yeah. He's in every band. Yeah. yeah. And then we just got Greg, Michael J. Yeah. You know, with the other bands. So um, now I, I don't know how. So I, I knew the, I knew the brothers, uh, because I was a prosecutor over in Pinellas County. I knew that they liked music because on Facebook, we would comment on the same things. At some point last summer, give or take, I posted something about Teen Wolf 2 and he just went ape shit on me. Like it's the worst <laughs> movie ever. It's an abomination. It's blah, 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 blah. I was like, you have a lot of strong feelings about a relatively 
remote movie that anybody would yeah. even give a shit about. And finally, uh, he's like, let's go to lunch. And we went to lunch and he told me the story. It's so funny because throughout the course of that lunch, the dynamic changed because I was a senior attorney. I had been doing a little bit more and all this other stuff. And then at some point he drops on me his whole other life. And right away I become like a seven-year-old girl. And I'm just like, tell me more, tell me more, tell <laughs> yeah. me more. And, and he'll, he's been on vacation for the past two weeks. And so he's trying to, trying to take a break from his phone, but literally like, I don't stop fucking with him all day long, just constantly asking him questions about this, that, and the other. It's been the the coolest thing ever, getting to know him and the band and getting to see what you guys do. But uh, at some point, I think it was around that show, I was talking to him about how big of a Mastodon fan I am. Okay. And he said, by the way, Troy from Mastodon, there's a small chance he may be at the show tonight. And I was just like, I've been trying to get him. To oh come my god! Out. Yeah. Oh my god! Oh my god! And uh, you know, I've seen them. I saw them in Atlanta at the Paps Fest, where they co-headlined with uh, Run the Jewels. Okay, I saw them in the Blood Mountain tour when they played at the State Theater in St. Pete. Yeah, um, I was at that show. Were you? Yeah, I I think, and I'm not. Don't you can't sue me for libel or slander, but I think I. I walked right past Brent doing a deal like in the alley behind, <laughs> behind the, <laughs> this was before he got married. I think he's cleaned up his act a little yeah. bit now, but uh, uh, that was an amazing show. Yeah. That was an amazing show. I love that album, that blood mountain album, I, especially because it was I, before I got into Mastodon, I was in the Queens of the stone age okay. and I love Josh Homme. He's one of my favorite singers, one of my favorite yeah. guitar players. And uh, he sang on uh, one of the songs on that album, which was really cool. But in any event, this is your interview. Um, you got to work with Troy and have worked with him on several albums. Is that true? Yeah. Over the last, I don't know, f- maybe three or four years. So how did you start gaining where you're getting internationally known artists um, coming in? So I made friends with a guy named Mike Major. Okay. Um, he's local. He did the first uh, couple at the drive-in records sure. and stuff when he lived in Texas. I'm a big Mars Volta fan. Yeah. And so, yeah. And Mike is just an amazingly nice guy. Super chill, uh, very willing to share and just awesome to basically do nothing with. Just go to lunch with and chill and talk about nothing. Right. Um, so I met him through uh, my mastering engineer that that I like and the guy yeah. I tried to open up a studio with. Um, hung out with him a little bit and he because he'd worked with at the drive-in stuff, uh, Troy Sanders moved to – Florida. Right. Um, for reasons. Yeah. You know, family reasons. Family stuff. reasons. Yeah. Um, and he needed a place to record some stuff. So Tony from at the drive and contacted Mike and was like, Hey Mike, where can Troy go? And Mike brought Troy to my place. That's so badass. And I was leaving that weekend. I had plans. So I didn't even, You're always, there always, the timing is always it, like, right. It's the, the, the horrible the worst you know, possible yeah. scenario. So I basically just left Mike keys uh-huh. and was like, just do your thing. Like yeah. g- gave him the quick, like 10 minute tour of yeah. like, here's where stuff is plugged in. You're only doing like vocals and maybe some guitar work or yeah. something. You're not doing a full band. You need like one or two inputs. This will be easy. And he's a great engineer. He can yeah. pop down anywhere and just figure it out. But just, he came in, we did the quick thing and right. like, Wished him well, and I went camping, and I came back. He's like, everything was great. I was like, cool, awesome, thank you. Got paid for my studio time and stuff. Right. I was like, that's cool. I was camping and made money. That's right, nice yeah. passive income. I yeah. love it. And then fast forward a couple of months, and I 
come to the studio one day and there's a note on the door. I was like, oh, who the hell's leaving me notes? It's going to be one of my angry neighbors yeah. around me. Like, you got to be quieter yeah. over here or something. And it's a note from Troy from Mastodon. Like, hey, I was here a little bit ago and I need some studio access for some various things. Can you call me? I was like, oh, yeah, I, I think I, I think <laughs> yeah, I could I think do I that. Could manage, yeah. yeah. So I called him and he would come in and do uh, some tour prep stuff where he would just play along with yeah. some songs that for uh, for the Gone is Gone stuff. Right. Um, and then we recorded some vocals, recorded some bass, did some little things like that. And then it just sort of grew from there. So it was very like organic, I feel, in the way that that stuff came to me. Um, and maybe a year ago or so, I started working with I think I know what story this is going to be. Go a ahead. A little more heavily. And uh, I found an old magazine that I had from like 2006 or something uh-huh. like that, Two thousand. I don't remember the year now, but it was like recording magazine on uh-huh. like how Mastodon records. Yeah. And I was like, I bought this because I was working with bands that were remotely similar. Like, right. And I wanted to glean some information from pages of a magazine. Sure. And now I was like, I'm working. It's the, har- the, the, the harmony and the frequency yeah. of the world, how it all comes. Now I'm working with the guys that I was just trying to figure out a little bit from. I was like, oh, I feel like the luckiest person, person on world, earth. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Like, and it's just continued to. So what story I thought you were telling. Uh, so I have been, so I'm an only child. Uh, my parents were quite a bit older uh, and I had tons of time to myself growing up. So I just was an avid music listener, you know, and I really got into heavier music, guitar driven music, probably towards the end of elementary school. Cause you know, when I was in, I think eighth grade, it was injustice for all came out. Okay. And uh, I don't know if it was raining blood or which Slayer album, but anthrax you know all those types of bands megadeth all these things i was getting into and then of course grunge came through and i was huge into the red hot chili peppers i loved blood sugar sex magic john frushanti was my favorite guitarist um so listen to a ton of music listen to a ton of music and i would spend shit tons of music on cds and i had this just insane cd collection that i had up and up until probably the past six or seven years i mean just boxes upon boxes upon boxes my wife was like what are you going to do with this stuff because because now it's just you know spotify or whatever you yeah. listen to it and it's just like what are you going to do with this and i had a buddy who was like can i can i re- download it all and then we'll both share it and all this other stuff is like well you can but you can pay 13 bucks a month and have it all on this thing anyway so finally i ended up selling it whatever the one is out here on nebraska i don't know if it's fine record exchange or whatever there used to be one in pinellas park too a record store there's a couple of them there's one in brandon there's one out here in nebraska and then there's one kind of close to where your studio is anyway um we'll we'll post production that into yeah anyway but i promised myself i'm not getting into vinyl i'm not going to get into vinyl i'm not going to do it i'm going to end up on an overpass you know blowing people for cash to go (laughs) buy records i'm not going to do it so last not this past year, last year, my wife and I decided we're going to do, we had just had our son. This was going to be our first trip without the kids. We decided to go to Asheville and it turns out that it's on record store day. Okay. There's a pretty popular record store, not too far from where we were staying in Asheville. And we had no kids and I knew my wife wanted to sleep in and I can't sleep in. Like my eyes open at like six, six thirty, and I just can't go back to bed. And I said, do you mind if I Uber to the store and just see what they got going on down there? And, uh, the stairway to heaven 
cover okay. that yeah. Mastodon did uh, was one of the records that was there that day. I got this big sleep, you know, uh, Matt Pike and that that thing. I got I got this Grateful Dead reissue. Uh, I got some other stuff, but but Mastodon's was it their manager Nick John or yeah yeah so their manager passed away of cancer. God, that band has been ravaged by cancer. I lost both my parents to cancer in the past two years, and so seeing what you know Troy went through with his wife and uh, uh, Bill went through with his was his mom, and then you know they just had a lot of issues there. But uh, their manager passed from cancer, so the manager's favorite band was Led Zeppelin, and so they did a. Stairway to Heaven, a, a live and then a, a, a recorded studio recording. And so I got that record. And I loved it. I thought it was pretty cool. And around the time that I came out to watch you guys to uh, do your your liquid liquid death thing, Craig was like, yeah, you know, Dan worked on this record. I don't know what it was. And I'm literally on the phone with him looking on the back of the record. And I was like, holy shit. So you you worked on that record. Yeah, right? not, not real heavily. But no, yeah, but you were yeah. involved in it. Yeah. Which just blew my mind. I was like, that's the fucking coolest thing ever. So what part did you play on that record? Um, we did some vocal stuff for Troy that I'm not sure if it made it to that. Okay. And um, I, I, it's hard to tell listening to it, like if he's tucked in the background sure. somewhere or whatever, um, and the bass stuff. Okay. And for that, like I just looked up what they used on their original. Yeah. You know, and I happened to have- most of it or very, very similar stuff. Like right. if not the same years, but like period correct kind of stuff and the same amp that they used or were rumored to use or whatever, you know, who knows if the internet tells the truth. Um, so we set up a thing that sounded kind of like that, but with like kind of a more modern edge to it. Now, and- now I've, I, I know just enough to be dangerous and probably not only that much, but I've seen sound city. I know about the Moog board and uh, pro tools versus what is it analog or yeah. you know like digital versus analog yeah what do you use at your studio pro tools pro tools yeah i mean that's the industry standard right now it's right? nice to have compatibility with most other studios right. even studios that don't use pro tools have a pro tools rig so they can transfer sessions in and out of their studio now you as a producer can you hear the producer on records like do you have producers who you like or you can hear their sound like um i know there's different like there's very different two, approaches well, so i'll stuff. give you two examples of who i know there's there's rick rubin who probably can't play an instrument but he just can tell you how something feels right yeah and then there's like steve albini who can play every instrument and is brutally honest with the people who come through there's like yeah. this sounds like shit but you're paying my hourly rate so you know tell me what you want me to do and i'll yeah. do it i'm i would say i'm more of the like steve albini kind yeah. of camp like i think that a band when they come in they've spent infinitely more hours working on their music playing it live and doing their thing than I have with them. Right. They've done hundreds and hundreds of hours. I'm an hour in maybe with them. Uh-huh. And it's unfair for me to be like, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. You know? If I hear something that's crazy, I ask, is that supposed to be crazy? Is it supposed to be this like really dissonant, hard to digest thing? Yes. Then, okay. okay. Success to you. You're yeah. doing it. If the answer is no, we got to figure out who's playing the wrong thing here. What's happening to make it that way. Do you ever get blamed by the artist for problems that aren't you? Uh, less and less. But that's you know, happened before. Oh, for sure. You yeah. know, things are my fault when they, yeah, when they when, can't When they sing. go right, it's they did it. When it goes wrong, it's your fault. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm holding up the show because there's some technical thing that just is happening. Yeah. I didn't 
can't plan for that. Well, that's shit. the other thing apart. I mean, you've got to have your head on a swell. Like the best laid plans kind of get thrown to the side when you're yeah. recording. Isn't that pretty much, yeah. you know, if, if a band doesn't come in very prepared, it's obvious in the first 15 minutes of trying to track anything that today's going to be a, a rougher a long day. day. Yeah. yeah. And then there's bands that come in in the first 15 minutes of after everything is set and we've got sounds, we're ready to go. They're happy with what's happening in their headphones and say, all right, here we go. Take one. And it's like, Oh, yeah. Today's going to be fun. Yeah. You know, these guys really have their shit together and they're going to. And does your studio deal with a lot of different types of music or do you generally have a certain type of band come through? I do or? a little bit of everything from a, a lot of like because of Wolf Face and yeah. the connections there. I do a lot of like guitar driven. Yeah, mostly yeah. guitar based music, um, but an occasional jazz band, country band, that kind of thing. Some hip hop stuff comes through. Now, how is recording hip hop as opposed to guitar driven music? Um, because a lot of that, they're, they're using machines to make their music. They're, right? they're they not. come in with a beat typically because yeah. I don't do any beat production. Sure. So they come in with a beat made by whoever. whoever. Yeah. And basically, it's kind of like a karaoke session yeah. in a way where it's just a mic and they do A lot easier thing. to mic a hip hop Yeah, it's, just, it's yeah. just tracking a vocal. There are some little like tricks and techniques to get that like in your face, really steady. Yeah constant like big sounding vocal over top of a pretty dense beat but it's not impossible aside from it is is fun though aside from gone is gone and and some of the work that you did with mastodon any other bands that i would know that you've worked with um i know you worked with feller because troy sang one of the tracks yeah on the new uh split record yeah um do they have a new singer with that record singing in english yeah 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 um I did a little bit of stuff for Propagandi oh, a sure. while ago for, because yeah. Su Lin, yeah. it's local here or was until recently, um, tried out and made it into that band. She's yeah. crazy good guitarist. Yeah. Um, and other than that, I've worked with like Taylor Swift's band. Okay. But she not just put on, out an album last night. Yeah. Not on Taylor Swift's music. Sure. Um, they kind of do this snarky puppy kind of stuff. Okay. Um, and they were in town and she paid for him to come into the studio and just sort of hang out. I don't out. know. It, it was the, a bunch of the pages that I follow on Facebook. Uh, if you look at the, the her new album that came out last night, Folklore, okay. it looks like a death, uh, like a like a Swedish death metal album. It's a black really? and white cover. She's in the woods and her logo and the name of it looks like Venom or Mayhem. Or really? Like, yeah, it's the craziest thing. That's insane. You have to look at it. I, I don't know if I it was saw she was doing something with like Bonnie Vare and Bonnie Vare, one of the guys from the National. Okay. Yeah, are on there. So I think she's trying to become more legitimate indie, indie kind or, of artist. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, not my cup of tea, but but my daughter loves her. So, yeah. but, but uh, anyway, the cover's pretty fun. I'll show it to you after the show. Um, so, uh, aspirations as far as production i mean are you do you are you marketing are you reaching out to people or is it all just more organic kind it, of word of mouth? i have never done any advert well that's not true a long time ago i made a single flyer and i hung it at sam ash okay one with those like little here's yeah, my phone number yeah, at the bottom rip yeah. it off and someone lost it, dog yeah here's my studio yeah. yeah someone in the warehouse took the whole thing and their band called me and from then i've never done any like advertising it's all been just word of mouth. Well, how saturated is the market? I mean, the, just during the show, we've mentioned three different places. I mean, is there a lot of places there's locally? A, or? There's quite a few. There's, there was a big – wasn't there a big one over here in Tampa that was pretty big? Or was it Morrisound in Tampa and then it went to – There's Morrisound reopened 
somewhat recently, a year okay. ago or so, and they're right behind Springs Theater. That's what I'm. That's um, what I'm Springs Theater is an amazing. It's the best sounding building I've ever been in. Um, I went into Skywalker Sound, and it's purposely built and no expense is spared, kind of thing. And it sounds great in there, yeah. but it sounds sort of vanilla, for lack of a better the soul's word. Soul's gone. Yeah. Springs Theater, that was just an old movie theater that ha- has basically had nothing done to it. Yeah. A, a wooden floor was put in to level the floor kind of thing. Yeah. The orchestra in there sounds better than they do in any of the halls. I'm having deja vu. I might have had this conversation with you before, but we were talking about like happy accidents, like things that exist in either live music venues or studios that uh, academically shouldn't make the sound better, but they kind of do. Yeah. Has, has, have you, is, is that something that you've seen before? Oh, that like, that's the definition of spring theater. I yeah. think is that just, it's such a, there's a gl- weird pillar. There's no real state. I'm not saying that, but I yeah. mean, this is cement and it should have carpet, you know, whatever the thing may be. The and, design is like, basically terrible yeah but then you put drums into the room and you lose your mind because yeah. it's this crazy huge ambience that never gets blurry or murky or muddy like right. most rooms tend to do have you recorded much live music um not tons yeah not tons i i have like a mobile rig that, that i go seems out like with. that would almost be a completely different animal like it's very different yeah um with a lot of the newer stuff, the digital boards, you can just plug in a computer or some of them you can just stab a flash drive yeah. into and it will track all that Whatever stuff. You know, whatever's do. plugged yeah. into it for the for the live front right. of house stuff just gets tracked to a hard drive somewhere and then you can mix that later. Right. Um, I worked at um, the Palladium in St. Pete and they have a wonderful Pro Tools rig basically that runs their, right. their front of house stuff. And you just hit record on the computer. Next doesn't Ryan to- do the sound at the bends or? Yeah. 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 So, wow. That's so cool. Um, so let's talk if we can a little bit about Wolfface. Uh, you guys now have put out how many, you've had a couple of EPs and like, like uh, smaller records, but you, you've, you've put out at least three or four albums, haven't you? Uh, I think we have two full lengths and then some like half okay. length splits. And- Is that the only band that you're in? Yeah. Okay. I'll have time for you. You've got, you, yeah. yeah. Oh, until the pandemic. Hit, yeah. Now you, you have know, all the time. But, yeah. I have too much time. So uh, now what involvement do you have in, in, in the process of that? Are you writing any of that music or are you, are you writing um, any of the lyrics? Very or? little. Okay. Very little. Um, there it kind of comes with the song somewhat formed already. Doesn't yeah. It? Yeah. Uh, he'll basically demo them at home and send them to us. And right. You just kind of put your own spin on the stuff. Cause it's very simple what he's put down, but the important bits are there. Um, you guys have played up and down the East coast. I know you guys have done fest every year for a period of time. Yeah. And uh, right before the COVID hit, there was, there was an offer to go to Germany. Wasn't there? There was, cause yeah, there's, um, Gunner records. Yeah. Put out the European arm of, yeah. Or who put out your record. Yeah. So they're, they partnered. I don't know all the sure behind the scenes details there, but, um, we were supposed to go do like an East Coast little week long 10 day tour. Yeah. And that got canceled. It's a um, bummer. I, so I, I really want you, I'm going to push, I'm going to push you. You're probably sick of listening to people talk about music, but I want you to listen to that drummer's podcast. But one of the funniest things is this bit that kind of just, comes up all the time people talking about touring germany yeah something about touring germany the fans there are very um not antiseptic but you can't tell if they're enjoying themselves or not yeah and they will literally just stand in front of 
this show or any of where else you've got a pit, people stage diving, arms crossed, just watching you. And you can't tell if they like it or if they don't. And then afterwards, they they ask these soul crushing questions like, were you were you intentionally rushing the beat or were you da 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 da? And it's oh. <laughs> yeah, but they're not they're not trying yeah. to be shitty. It's just they you know they're just yeah. their, their way of kind of digesting music. Yeah, they're and, looking for the precision in it or something like for that. For sure, they'd so be sad at a wolf face show. You get all these <laughs> stories about these guys like uh, oh, this is Maggio. I told you high on fire. I think it's Dave Woody who plays in Municipal Waste, but he's been in a bunch of. He's in this one band. I think it's called Discordance Access, and they're like one of the most technical, crazy bands out there and uh some of the guys who are like an atheist and and death and you know these people who their drumming is like otherworldly and they go there and they still get criticized yeah on that's crazy people. so do, do you have any uh hunger for music outside of your job or, or do mm-hmm. you is that the last thing you want to do with your free time it really depends yeah. you know there's some weeks where or the only thing i work on is like someone's reading a technical manual sure and then i crave music yeah. outside of there and when it's just a week long of straight band production stuff. I don't want to hear guitar, bass, and drums right. when I leave there. Um, so what are you into? Like, what, what do you listen to these days? Really all. Is there anybody that common now that you're into? I like. I I know, my, it's such a hard Yeah, like my musical again. tastes uh, haven't progressed much. Yeah. Um, through pandemic stuff, um, I put together like a little wood shop. So I've been listening to stuff out there as I work. But oh, really? Yeah. And it's. What are you building? Oh, all sorts of stupid things that no one needs. Like end tables or. I built a barrel. It was oh, like wow. the hardest thing. Can I, I, I commission something? Of course. I want to commission yeah. a barrel. Okay. A barely legal barrel. <laughs> I'll make you one. Um, I want to do like to have a little shop to do that kind of stuff. That's awesome. We sidetracked, I guess, but like no, I love it. Um, yeah, well, Nick Offerman is one of my favorite okay. comedians. Have yeah. you ever seen his wood shop? Oh, and the it's, stuff it's that insane. He does? Yeah, it's badass. And I have a couple of friends. I'm trying to think. You probably know who this person is. It's an it's it's either a brother-in-law or a cousin of an attorney, but he's got a really cool place over in Pinellas. You probably know the name of it if you said it. I I can't remember it, but he does a lot of like live edge wood tables okay. and all that kind of stuff, and it's so cool. Make the idea. You know, I think it's funny because. In some ways, I'm not going to compare us, but uh, when you do something analytical so long where you're using your brain, you have this great desire to use your hands to do something. Yeah. So would you say that that's kind of the dynamic that you're looking at? Kind. Well, that's what I thought. Yeah. Like (laughs) it just just turns into the same thing. It basically turns into the same thing where you're using both halves of your brain because you're trying to build something that looks cool or sounds cool. And then you have to use all of this technical stuff to do it. Right. So I went like when pandemic started, I was like, I'm going to have some free time. Two days into stuff, all everything for the uh, coming month had canceled. And I went, right. well, I'll, I'll go buy a table saw. Right. You know, so I went to buy a table saw and the guy's like, you want this big drill press too? And I said, no. He said, what about if it was 50 bucks? And I was like, yeah, I guess I'll buy a big. I could sell it for twice that. Yeah. Or, you know, it's an eight or $900 drill press. Sure. sure. I'll take it for yeah. 50 bucks. Beats the one that I currently have. And then from there, I was like, oh, I need this tool and I need this tool. And I gathered up some tools. I'm like, oh, I know I need like a better place to put it all in. Oh, we man. have a little <laughs> detached, like one car garage. Yeah. So I gutted the place, put down flooring. We chopped down our old fence. And I put up like a cool decorative wall so that it at least felt kind of cool. Yeah. In there. Started building benches and got all these other tools. I was like, well, I got to start building the things that I want to build. And also just using this to kind of pass the time. So I built some small things, built like a stool and some other just right. non-essential things. Sure. Built my dad a little like keepsake box and yeah. stuff. And I 
said, I looked at a barrel and I was like, barrel looks simple, but is very hard to build. Yeah. Let me figure out how to build a barrel. So I built a barrel, um, built little shelves, built some little, a dog gate for in the house kind That's of badass. thing. Just some nonsense stuff. We went, uh, the beginning of this year, my wife and I, we went to, uh, Scotland and we got to take a tour of a whiskey distillery Cool, and the barrels, the stories behind the barrels, the wood that's used, what's in the barrel, the impact that the barrel has on what they're making. And they had this one room, it's like a cave and you go in and it was a gate and locked up and you, it was this big rack on the wall with all these barrels. And there was tons of like, Korean names and Japanese names. And they're like, well, what this is, this is becoming uh, an invoke thing for people to do as a graduation present is because of the time it takes for this whiskey to age. They'll buy it when a kid is starting school and it'll become a graduation present when they leave. And literally the contents of that barrel sells for like hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's almost like a bond that, you know, we used to our grandparents, here, I bought you a bond and yeah. it matures over 20 years into 50 bucks. They're, they're buying these barrels that they're distilling and putting whiskey in over in Scotland. And after 20 years, it's like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And for whatever reason that the Korean people know about it. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty cool. But the, the wood and what goes in the wood and what effect it has. I don't know if you're a whiskey guy or not, not real heavy, but, but sure. uh, like, you know, in Kentucky, there's such a big scene there. And, and the, so get into those barrels, man. There's money in those yeah. barrels. Yeah. Uh, like those oak barrels and For stuff. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I went to a furniture place in South Tampa here and I had offered to like sweep up their shop and bring their crew lunch and stuff. Cause they were giving away some like wood scraps. Right. And I went there and they loaded my van completely full of like all this nice hardwood stuff that I wouldn't have been able to spend money sure. on had, with no money coming in during yeah. this. So I have a garage full of wood. Another friend gave me another van full of like cedar stuff. And I've just I got to introduce like you to experimenting uh, Dave with Beanstra, who is an attorney locally. And I'll, I'll find out the name of the store, but you, you, you get a kick out of these guys because yeah. they do some really cool stuff. Cool. And I'm always looking at Offerman's Woodshop online and yeah. see what he's working on. I've, I've, I've wanted to buy something, but you know, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta, I got two kids now, so I gotta watch what I spend my money <laughs> yeah. on. But anyway, I haven't seen his offerings, but I'm guessing that they are not, uh, on the cheap side of stuff. Well, there's basically. some little stuff like yeah. you can get like a pen holder or whatever, but he's got some live edge tables and some, you know, just, just cool stuff. Cool. Cool stuff. So, but going out there, I guess back to your original yeah. question that took us away. Like I just listened to like the weaker thins, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. Cause it's pretty chill. Um, some just like jazz mixes from iTunes and stuff, just depending on the mood. Um, I go down these rabbit holes and, you know, I, at some point in my life, I was very up on whatever the current music is. And at some point that stopped happening. Now there's some metal metal. I can still do it. You know, I'm still on the cutting edge of that, but as far as pop music, not at all, but I'll just go down these rabbit holes of listening to whatever. And like, like Fleetwood Mac, I'll start listening to early Fleetwood Mac with Peter Green. And I don't know if you know about who Peter Green is, but not a huge so, Fleetwood Mac well, and, and fan, but they're, that's, that's they're okay. awesome. Well, he had this guitar called uh, Greeny and it was a Les Paul that they called the Greeny. They named it after him. And it was, uh, he owned it. Then I think one of the guitarists for Thin Lizzy owned it, and now Kirk Hammett owns it. Okay. And Kirk Hammett's played it on a bunch of different stuff. And it's one of these guitars that's almost like haunted. Like, it just, you know, it's amazing how an instrument made 
at the same time as a bunch of instruments from the same place can sound so different from every other instrument that was made. Yeah. And again, it's these happy accidents. I don't know if maybe there was a knot in the wood in the neck or maybe the whatever the thing of the, the what do you call it the action on the strings or whatever the thing may be the coils and the mic you know i was listening to uh john mayer and again he's kind of a divisive character but he was on this there's this uh podcast i listen to called let there be rock and it's dean del rey who's a comedian but he used to be a musician and he's a huge john mayer fan and john mayer talks about playing um who's the main guy for grateful dead that passed away this uh you know what I'm talking about? Uh, Jerry Garcia. Jerry Garcia. Okay. Thank yeah. you. Jerry Garcia's guitar. And something about like they they wound the coils and the pickups wrong or something. Like the pickups weren't made the way that they were supposed to be Out made. of spec somehow. There was something fucked up yeah. about them. But that's the only guitar that plays the songs the way that he played them. Yeah. So he talked about holding this guitar. And he said, I mean, he he had already been like a sold a million John Mayer, he's like, I held that guitar and it was like my first time holding the guitar ever. It just scared the shit out of me. And and so I, I just love, you know, there's so much about music if you really want to get into it. Stories behind bands, behind instruments, behind recordings uh, that 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 now has become kind of where I go with music. And so um, in any event, but it's funny, I was just having this conversation with somebody the other day and as a kid i part aside from music i was always really into movies and i could get really into these dark movies just these dark dark movies but now with what's going on in society and me having kids the last thing i want to do is like watch this dark movie because it's like there's enough darkness going is, on. Yeah. life is dark enough yeah. i don't need it but but for some reason that hasn't happened with music um something about heavier faster music almost brings me harmony brings me joy brings me some kind and i and i think there's got to be I, I keep talking i need to read it but there's this uh book i think it's called how music is made by david byrne and i think he really gets into the science of like frequencies and and uh you know how many beats per minute and and all these things like the, the math of it and how it the brain reacts to it yeah and i just think that's really cool and beautiful that this with this art form there's definitely a science to it as well for sure like i can fall asleep listening to black metal yeah you know because it does there's a certain just cadence to it that turns into a white noise and just it really does sort of lulls me off yeah it's probably easier for me to fall asleep listen to like wolves in the throne room yeah. than it is to like fall asleep listening to something that's a infinitely more soothing yeah you know put on some classical music and now I'm listening for, oh, that third chair violin sounds a little out of tune. You know, right. I'm listening to that kind of right. stuff because that stuff is usually handled very beautifully from a technical sense, from the player's approach to their playing and the music that's written to the recording process of it is a very gentle, very thought through process to keep all that stuff intact and then you go to something that's like black metal that sounds like someone laid an iphone in the room next yeah. door intentionally trying to make it sound like just shit. to make it more terrible to listen to kind of thing because it suits the music so well and that stuff just sort of washes over me i go ah, and fall asleep were you, were you ever a joy division fan yeah um is it martin can't remember his last name, but he was the guy who did all the recordings, okay. a lot of the recordings on that. And I, I only know this because I've seen some movies about it, but like literally like he put the drummer on the roof and like 
if you listen to the drumming on Joy Division, it sounds like you're hitting a wet towel. Like yeah. it doesn't resonate at all. It's almost just like a click. Yeah. It's and it's it's interesting because you know even trying to make music sound shitty can have an appealing. Oh, absolutely. To it. And I had this conversation with uh, Greg all the time that some of my phas- favorite music is where people don't sound like they've played the song before or that they're even playing the same song or that they even know how to play. And like, so I grew up, I was born in 75 and and I was really into skateboarding. So I loved like black flag. I loved a lot of the revelation record stuff, like gorilla biscuits yeah. and youth of today and all this stuff and minor threat and Fugazi and all this other stuff. And, you know, when you guys did your misfits cover it fast, that just, that was everything for me. And as I understand you're doing another, I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys have announced who your next, set will be but um definitely very much in that vein yeah. so i love that stuff i just love when it sounds like maybe you just learned this year how to play drums or maybe you forgot what happens at this part of the song and the guitar there's bands that come in it's like i don't think they've ever listened to other music before and it's amazing yeah. there's no preconceived notion they're not trying to be something yeah. else and there's an energy to stuff when the songs are when fresh and new. Yeah, yeah there's like this feeling of this train's about to derail yeah and it sucks you in like that tension sucks you in. Cause you feel like uh, we're going to watch a train wreck. The person I always think of is Keith moon, a uh, drummer for yeah. the who, because literally his, you couldn't use drum set after he drummed it. I mean, he did just, just, just fucking destroyed it. And you know, things are tipping over while he's hitting it. And I mean, it's just, just a hurricane it's chaos behind yeah. the drums. And I, I just, I, that has always appealed to me. I just, I just love that. Uh, anyway, well, I can't thank you enough for finally making it over. I know you've been busy recording a lot of stuff. I know you're working on some stuff right now. I'm pretty excited about, um, hopefully there's a new, I, I, I'm too pushy, but I want another wolf face record soon. I think there'll be a little while little before while, that yeah. happens. Yeah, yeah. Cause that the new coming up one, with new material. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a deep well there, but I have some Rutterkin now that I can listen okay, to in the interim. Cool. Are, they, are they recording with you at all? Um, or? they've done a bunch of stuff there. Okay. Uh, Ryan's been handling most of that stuff okay. cause he's, he knows how to, he's do it awesome too. at it. Yeah, yeah. He's very, very good at it. And they go to my place and finish up at his place and, I did some drums for them because it's just, it sucks to be the drummer. I love, did you have anything to do with the Guided by Voices cover that they did? I did not. Oh, I love Guided by Voices. You ever listen to them? Yeah. Yeah. Game of Pricks. That's one of my favorite songs. I know that's just one day. It was, oh my God, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. They're a pretty cool band. Yeah. I love them. I mean, I, I, I've, I've really only recently come to see how rich the, the, the community is here musically, you know, I've, I've, you know, through you guys and, uh, Andrew, who's blade of sir and does Achilles and, uh, you know, Rob Sexton's got slap of reality over there. Keith's got Pogo over here at, you know, um, then the bands that you've played with, of course, Dave Decker, who I, I actually flew out to Portland today to go take pictures really? of what's going on with the protest. Yeah. He's over oh, there. you flew him out there. That's how he got out there. Well, he he yeah. put he put on Facebook. He's like, I want to get out. I want to get out there. I was like, well, how much could it cost? And he yeah. messaged me. He's like, this is how much it costs. And I was like, can we do like a a podcast photog collab? Yeah. He's like, sure. And I was like, that dude's awesome. I fucking love him. Have you man. talked to him at length? He came into the show. Okay, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, you know, I love him, and I've been talking to him about coming out and doing a photo series for the show. And you know, he's got his show, the Fugazi show, that he went to up in Gainesville, where he gets 
his head smacked open and he's using Joe Lally's shirt to mop up his blood. And so I was talking to him about uh, Glenn Friedman, who did a lot. He did that that photo thing with Fugazi and he did a lot of stuff with Run DMC and Beastie Boys and Dogtown and Z-Boys. So now we talk. My wife's a photographer, too. So we talk about photography stuff. No, but I love him. He's That's awesome. the great thing about this podcast. And probably in a very similar way to your studio is you get to meet these amazing people who maybe you wouldn't otherwise. Absolutely. Get to. Yeah. And so, you know, through you, Greg, Ryan, uh, Sean Kyle, uh, just these other people. And I mean, all these different types of music and different types of scenes. But I, I learn something every show. So it's been pretty amazing. Yeah. The stories behind the song. Sometimes I the lyrics are, you know, we're finally in that stage. We're doing vocal. I'm like, can I get a lyric sheet just so we are on the same yeah. page here? And I read it. And I'm like, oh, this is some of it's about nothing. Yeah. You know, it's clearly about nothing. Yeah. Or they're doing a very bad job of conveying what the, the nothing is. Right. And the next thing I read is like, this is absolutely insane. Yeah. I worked on a song a couple of days ago that's about a guy who was, he was born in Ukraine, survived all the war stuff there, talking about getting shot at by the soldiers and all right. that stuff. Him and his friends, he went back a couple of years ago, two years ago or something. Um, him and his friends get like drunk out of their minds and they get in a car and they're cruising around in a field that they know is just full of mines. Oh, wow. And they're ready basically to die at any second. But they're just so drunk and happy yeah. to be together. And it's such like a crazy well of emotions in all of them. And they're just cruising around in this field, like drunk driving. Right. You know, yeah. waiting to get blown up by a mine. And they didn't because I recorded them the yeah. other day. But uh-huh. like this, the lyrics, I was like, what is this about? Because this sounds insane. Right. You know, and yeah. it tells me the story. I'm like, holy, yeah. holy shit. That's pretty terrifying like that. well you know with all the heavy stuff that's going on right now I, i'm really hoping that it does bring about about some amazing art you know between the black lives matter thing what's going on with the police the defund the police politically with the election coming up and then of course covid people going out of business i mean i've had tom DeGeorge on from crowbar and that guy's you know, awesome he's awesome sweetheart real nice guy and just what a what a struggle live music venues are facing, which just kills me because that's such a big part of my life is yeah. live music. And this year, I, ha- I don't think I've seen a live show this year. I had tickets to Tool. I had tickets to Guns N' Roses. I know you guys are going to, I think, do Prefest or something at, you know, and then a bunch of the smaller shows. You know, I'm, I'm always at the Orpheum seeing the Melvins or whomever's coming through there. And uh, it's missing. It's a, it's a hole yeah. in my life, you know. I'm noticing it with the bands that I normally have worked with. They're not playing shows and not selling merch and they're not doing very much. They don't have money to come in and make right. their, finish their records. Yeah. You know? um, and it sucks. Yeah. And when I sit back and think about it, it's like a panic attack because yeah. I feel bad for all of my musician friends that are relying on that stuff as their source of happiness. They're working jobs that they don't necessarily love. And that weekend show is their release. Yeah, their release. Yeah. And it's also a little bit of money into some kind of fun that brings them then to me. And that's a selfish thing, but like, I'm very happy when they're in there and we're working together on music because it's what I love to do. It's also how I end up paying the bills. The bills, yeah. So it's like yeah. two two parts of me, the, the part that wants to eat and like live indoors yeah. is scared. And the part of me that just loves working on music all the time, that's missing too. It's the two very important, like vital parts of being alive. Yeah. I, I Not to get too kind of melodramatic or metaphysical or whatever but i I feel like what art always finds a way to survive always finds a way to get through i mean you look at these artists these great works of art that survived world war ii and you just 
all these different things that, you know, it, it's kind of, it's a, you can, you can't stop it. And so, you know, that sounds great in theory. What does it mean in practice for my day to day? But yeah. I, I'm, uh, I'm hoping that this is all on a path to something great, whatever that looks I like. I know there's more songs being written right now. There's a lot more passion for the lack of a better word. People have time. They have some frustrations. They have a bunch of stuff that they need to get out and their normal outlet is gone. Yeah. So they're, everyone's kind of falling inward in a certain way and just pouring that out into their songs and their art. And I think that soon we're going to like, we're seeing that coming about, I think kind of slowly, but pretty soon I see there's a wave, a, a wave of stuff yeah. that's going to be pretty so much of my favorite Powerful. music is politically motivated or protest music or, you know, whether it's Dylan or Rage Against the Machine or is it who's this machine kills fascists? Um, is that Woody Guthrie? I don't know. Anyway, I I, uh, I I love that music. And and God, I don't know what it was like to live through Vietnam or to live through segregation or whatever. But I feel like what we're going through right now has got to be pretty darn close to what they went through yeah. when all this yeah. amazing music came about. Yeah, it's definitely a similar set of circumstances. Yeah. Not exactly the same, but nothing is the same as anything else, really. Right. But yeah, I think people are pissed off, sad, scared, all, like all the emotions that you All the great stuff that goes into great art. Yeah, the suffering that's required to write a really great song. Right, you know? right. Well, Dan, I can't thank you enough for taking time on your Friday to come over here, drive over the bridge. Uh, I don't know. Do you have more recording that you got to do today? Are you going to be working on some tables or? Probably go play with wood some. Oh, there you yeah. go. There you go. I'm serious though. I, I you got to, we got to, we got to, I got to make something. You got to let me know what you're working on okay. next. And yeah. I would, I would love to have that be a part. Maybe it'll buff some of the sound. That yeah. Brian was telling me I need to put a little mini fridge in here. A little mini fridge and some diffusers and diffusers, some sand that's panels. Right. That's they'll build right. you a cool diffuser. Thank you so much for coming over. It was, it was, it was a pleasure. My You're pleasure. an awesome guy and I really love what you do. Thank you. Man. All right.